Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. All right. Good morning and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. This is Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner. And we are interviewing Kent Ritter today about how to make good investing decisions. So Kent, welcome to the show. Hey, Rachel and Bruce. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to be here today. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. And I just wanted to give a quick um, introduction to the podcast today. So if you're in a position where you're saying, you know, I really want to make better investing decisions, we're talking with Kent Ritter. He's a full-time real estate investor and operator of Hudson Investing. And today we're talking really about scaling and diversifying your real estate portfolio and wherever else the conversation may lead in the next 30 minutes. So we're excited to have you tune in if you really want to expand your investing perspective. Now, Bruce, before we get started, is there anything that you would like to share at the front of this episode today? Well, I think this is just, you know, we don't end- we don't endorse, uh, we can't endorse, you know, any kind of strategy uh, ourselves. But what we do is we bring on these excellent people that have their own um, their own resources and their own businesses to give you an idea that there's other things out there that you can do besides stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. And uh, although we can't uh, endorse them directly, I think you can make up your own decision. And we, we do bring on some quality people. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you, Bruce. And I reiterate that as well. And so without further ado, Kent, thank you so much for joining us for this show today. Yeah. Awesome. Glad to be here, guys. Awesome. Well, can you tell us a little bit about how you got started in the multifamily investing space? Take us back to what got you into real estate in the first place. Yeah. Happy to do that. So if we go back to 2015, I uh, was was a partner in, in a business. We had uh, we started it in 2010. We had grown it uh, over about six years. Uh, it was a boutique management consulting firm. We, we got it to about 95 employees and 30 million in annual revenue, and then decided in 2015, it was the right time to exit. So at the end of 2015, we sold the business. And I had so I had this capital from selling the business, and I honestly didn't really know uh, where to put that capital. Uh, mm. I knew I didn't want to have it all in the stock market. I didn't want all my eggs in one basket and riding that roller coaster. And so I looked for ways to diversify. And so I started looking at alternative investments and you know, went a bunch of different routes, uh, but real estate was really what checked all the boxes for me. And then as I continued to just uh, learn more and, and develop my own knowledge in, within real estate, uh, I na- gravitated very quickly to multifamily mm. uh, just because I, I felt there were a lot of benefits o- over the single family space. Um, you know, I knew I wanted to be on the residential rental side for for a number of reasons. I, I took a quick foray into, into like commercial office and back. And um, so anyway, landed in, in multifamily, really just fell in love with it uh, for a lot of reasons we can talk about. And then I went from being a passive investor. I started as a passive investor, just deploying my capital into these investments with different syndicators. And I invested in a couple of deals in 2015 as I was kind of getting my feet wet and crowdfunding deals and just trying to learn. And then in 16, I really started investing in earnest and, and 
invested in 10 deals in 16 with a, with a several different sponsors really as a way to diversify as a way and as a way to just continue to learn what this is all about this world of syndication which was brand new to me but but when i learned about syndication i mean all the light bulbs went off in my head of like wow this makes a ton of sense you can pool our money together and we can go out and we can buy something bigger and better than 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 any of us could on our own you know and mm-hmm. so i started out doing that passively because uh well one i just wanted to get the returns um and two, I wanted to, to really understand the, the business because I, I knew there was a lot I didn't know and there was probably a lot I didn't even know I didn't know. So started that passively. And then uh, in 2019, actually started uh, sponsoring my own deals and, and started doing our own, our own syndications. And since 2019, we've just been rolling and rinsing and repeating the process. Well, that's excellent. There's so many things that I'd love to ask you about through that did you mention what kind of a business it was that you were in that you sold back in 2015? Yeah, it was a manager consulting business. Okay. Okay. So you had some experience with that as well. And then, um, so you mentioned then as well, going from passive inve- or active investing to more passive investing. Can you explain what that was like for you specifically? Yeah. So, so passive investing, what that means is in this context is it means you're investing your money with uh, a deal sponsor with, with a syndicator, with someone who is, you know, with the person that's finding the deal, putting the deal together, securing the debt, right? Um, putting together the business plan and the for the improvements and renovations of the property, and then you're you're investing with them, and so trusting them with your money. Your money is going in with a pool into a pool with others, and we're taking that equity and going out and purchasing. The property really using it for the down payment and then for uh the renovation costs for that property and then as part of that uh even as a passive investor you're an owner of of that property and you're able to receive your distributions from the profits uh of the company of the property uh and then also you know you share in the appreciation at, at the time of sale and so really what our what our strategy is or what a lot of what a lot of syndicator strategy is is if it's a value add strategy the easiest way I can describe it to people is like, it's like what you see on HGTV, right? When people are, are fixing up a home, we're just doing it for 100, 200 units at a time. Uh, but essentially the process is the same. We're acquiring the property. Uh, we have a clear plan on how we can how we can add value and how we can increase, really we're focused on increasing the income of that property. Because as we increase the income of that property, we increase the value of the property. And so we're buying the property, we're putting it under professional management, we're renovating the units and the exteriors. We're adding amenities, and then we're running that property for anywhere from three to five years. And we're and we're kicking off the cash flow back to the investors of their share of the profits. And then at the end of that, we we sell the property, and, and then everybody shares in the appreciation, and you get your your capital gains uh, through that. So, um, so that's really kind of I started out passively investing with others, and then as I build up my knowledge and my experience. Um, you know, I began to, to actively do my own deals. And now that's what I do is I go out and, and have a team that finds apartments. So we acquire them, we negotiate all of that. We put the deals together, we bring investors in, and then we, uh, we go through the business plan. So one of the things I think, uh, people are always curious about is active and passive losses for tax purposes. And I know mm-hmm. you're, I know you're not a tax professional, but obviously that's, that's something that you try to explain to people what, when you're doing it. Mm-hmm. So there's different rules for when you're an active investor and different rules for when you're a passive investor. Would you like to share anything on that about the benefits of that? 
Sure. So, so there's a couple of, and yes, I'm not a CPA, but I, I'm, you know, I've talked to enough to be dangerous. And I can tell you from my own personal experience in that, uh, so when you think about income, you think about taxable income, you think about kind of three buckets, there's your, you know, your, your ordinary income, or which is typically like, like your active income, right? Your, your W2 job or, you know, uh, other, or from the property standpoint, like the, the profits that the property is throwing off, you know, uh, the profits of the business. Then you have your, your, your passive bucket, which would be, you know, your investments in things like, uh, if you had rental properties or other things, you know, uh, your, your investments in the apartments, I mean, those kind of sit in a passive bucket. And then you have your, your, your portfolio income, which are like your stocks and your, and mutual funds and things like that. And, and so, um, you know, when you think about it from a tax standpoint, uh, one of the best thing, the biggest advantages of real estate is is the ability to not only are we passing through uh, the profits, but we're also passing through uh, the the depreciation on the property, which, which mm -hmm. offsets your gains within that passive bucket. It offset they all offset so that your gains in the property are being offset as we pass through the, the depreciation, which essentially is just a it's kind of a complicated explanation of you get to save money on taxes because you're uh you know you're offsetting your the money you're getting with also the the quote-unquote expenses you're getting through that depreciation yeah, so that, one that's one aspect of it yeah and one of the things that uh just to make sure our listeners understand is that you know that um this is done and a lot of times it's actually done where you then have carryover losses mm -hmm. and those carryover losses uh, are different if you're an active investor and a passive investor. Um, right. So, so if you're, you so that's kind of that. a different, yeah, different aspect of it from actually your investor status. So like, it's like me who I'm a hundred percent in real estate. It's all that I do. I, I'm actually considered a real estate professional by, by the IRS. And what that allows me to do is it allows me to offset all of my income, uh, all of those three buckets I just talked about. Um, I, I can offset all of them with the depreciation I receive from my real estate. And so it's really powerful from a tax standpoint that it's how the people that, that you hear about, whether it's uh, rich people or politicians and people complain that they pay zero taxes, most of them do it through owning real estate and through depreciation. And so it, it's a legal way to really offset a lot of your, you know, your potential tax liability. Yeah, and and we we talk about this all the time, Kent. That it's it's the way Congress set it up as an incentive to actually get people to um, actually develop these multifamily housing units, which are in much demand mm -hmm. in, here in the United States. And it's not it's not a loophole. I hate that word. It's actually right. an it's actually an incentive yeah. in the tax code to get what Congress needs, and that is to build more of these units or rehab these units so that they stay in. So people have some good quality places to live. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And and I mean, and that's really what I mean. If you look, if you look at the tax code, there's, you know, the the punitive portion of it is is actually fairly small. A lot of the tax code is really around all these different things where the government mm -hmm. is trying to incentivize you to do the things that they want you to do. And and one of those is invest in real estate and and continue to. Um, you know, continue to invest and continue to improve the areas around us. And so you're you're absolutely right. It's it's not a loophole. It's it's supposed to be there, and it's something that that I think you know the the most of the richest people in the world take advantage of. 
Yeah. And so talk about the benefits of uh, wh why you believe multifamily is a good space to be in. That's exactly where I was going to go next. Yeah, that, that is a lot to unpack there. There's a lot of positives. I think from one, ju just if you're looking at, well, let me, let me just start with from just a pure investment side. So just as an investment, and this is one of the reasons what I talked about earlier, real estate and especially multifamily checked all the boxes for me, right? First and foremost, it's just, it's, as you're diversifying your portfolio, real estate is, is not correlated with, with other types of investments like the stock market. Meaning that just because the stock market goes down doesn't mean your apartment building's all, all of a sudden gonna be worth less, right? They're non-correlated, they do not move together. So that's a great thing from a portfolio standpoint because you don't want everything in your portfolio to move up or down together, otherwise you're not diversified. So there was that non-correlation because I already had I already had a brokerage account. I already had my money in the stock market. I, I wanted something else that would protect me, uh, you know, if when the stock market drops. So that was a big one. The, the next one is the cash flow component. So, you know, you can you can get cash flow from from stocks. Again, there are dividend producing stocks, but it's just not to the magnitude of the cash flow that you can receive on an annual basis from uh, from the multifamily investments that, that we do. I mean, typically our cash flows on a yearly basis are anywhere from, from seven to 10% annualized, uh, cash on cash return on your investments. So if you invest in 50,000, you know, it would be somewhere between probably 3,500 to 5,000 a year that you could expect to receive and your share of the distributions of the profits of the company. Mm -hmm. um, and then on top of the cash flow, you've got that appreciation component, right? Which is really that wealth generator, which is where you're thinking about, you know, my goals when I first started investing and, and it's still the goal now that I have my own company was, you know, in these multifamily investments, I believe that I could double my money every five years. It was realistic based on the returns. And that was really what I set out to do. And, and I think that's an achievable goal. And so when you think about the appreciation aspect, you are getting that cash flow, but then you're getting that extra amount of the appreciation on the sale, right? Because we've created a lot of value. We're selling at a higher price. That difference of what you paid versus what mm -hmm. you're getting, just like if you were to sell a single family home, right? Like that comes back to you and that's profit. And then the third, fourth, I guess, was actually the, the tax advantages, which when I first started investing, I really didn't understand. It wasn't until I actually started seeing this come back and seeing it on my tax return and seeing the big returns, uh, that I was actually getting back from the IRS for, for the taxes I had shelled out. Um, and you know, that was a really powerful, a really powerful moment for me to really understand that benefit of the tax savings on it. And, you know, I, I've heard any, you know, based on your tax situation, the bracket you're in, it typically could be one to 2% on top of your gain. Um, when you, when you think about the, the tax savings uh, being factored in. So for all those reasons, uh, I think it's a great investment choice. And then as far as specifically multifamily and why, why I think that's a great investment choice, I mean, all those things apply, but I just, I believe there's a, a, we're in a very unique time right now. We've got kind of this perfect storm of things happening that creates a very, uh, a very good environment to, to be a multifamily investor. I mean, really almost all types of real estate investor, but we're in a situation right now where, um, you know, just like I'm an economics guy. And so I kind of like to keep things simple and just go back to supply and demand. And at, at the very base, there's just not enough housing for, for people in the US. You know, I, I've seen reports recently that we're anywhere from four to 5 million multifamily units short 
um, oh, wow. throughout the country. Then I've seen other reports on single family where we're another 4 million single family houses short. So you add those up, we're eight, 9 million uh, short of places for people to live. And so, you know, with that, when you have an environment where your demand is outpacing your supply, well, Econ 101 tells us that prices go up in that environment. And so, you know, I, we're, we're seeing it right now. We're seeing rent inflation, you know, that, that is double in many markets, the historic averages. We're seeing um, asset price inflation where we're seeing, you know, I, I can tell you in some of the markets that I invest in, assets have appreciated 30% over the last nine months because I bought oh, properties wow. nine, nine months ago. And now we're getting offers on those properties nine months later for 30% more. Oh, wow. And so it's, uh, we're really seeing this kind of, like this perfect storm come together. The other things that are really driving that are interest rates are so low and projected to remain low into the, into the future. So, so money is cheap to borrow, which allows people to pay higher prices. Um, and you're, you're just seeing, there's just so much extra money floating around from all the government incentives through COVID and, and all the subsidies that, that people just, just have more money in their pockets and more available. And, and when you think about the individual level, but you think about the large institution level, I mean, there's institutions out there with billions of dollars that they can't place and they're looking for yield on their capital. And so, um, you know, there's, they're willing to take a 4% yield on their billion dollars just to get it deployed. Mm -hmm. And because of that, they're, they're paying, you know, un unheard of prices for, for quality assets like multifamily real estate. And so we're, we're seeing this time period over the next few years, where we're going to see assets continue to appreciate and we're going to see rent continue, continue to grow. And I think it really is an unprecedented time. I, I've been looking for economic indicators that are going to say this thing's going to slow down uh, because, you know, you talk to people and people say, oh, we're at the top. We've got to be at the top. Well, people were saying the same thing in 2014 and you could have thrown a dart at a wall in 2014 and hit a property and made a boatload of money on it. Mm -hmm. um, and so not that things continue forever, but I think we've got a pretty clear picture over the next couple of years that, that we're in a unique time for multifamily. Uh, there, there's a, a thirst for, for the asset like never before. And because of that, we're, we're seeing all that appreciation that we're talking about. You know, I'm, yeah, I'm really the, glad. What, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say one of the, one of the things, even if, even if the market does, you know, rebalance, uh, it's only going to rebalance uh, as far as the appreciation. Uh, the, the cash flow is still going to come from rents because people have to live somewhere. That's right. Um, and then the other, the other thing that I'm finding is because we're a much more mobile society that people, especially young people, don't want to be tied down with an actual house that they don't know if they're going to get you know, if they're going to be able to sell, you know, quickly, although right now they can sell them quickly um, and then move to another place. So that's why quality multifamily housing, it's another reason why people like it. And it's, it comes with all those other amenities that younger people like too, whether it's a dog walking service or a pizza place in the multifamily unit or uh, uh, workout facilities, you know, so on and so forth that they're adding as a value add to these multifamily mm -hmm. situations that young people are really, really liking to kind of build a community within the community. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, there's, um, you know, and then you have, you have that group of people. You all, I mean, you also have the folks who have just been priced out of the, the current housing market where, mm -hmm. you know, housing prices have gone up so much and it's so competitive that there's a lot of people that are just saying, you know what, I'm going to wait. And, and, and we're seeing that overall. We're seeing people rent for longer than ever before. 
We're also seeing from a demographic demographic standpoint, we're seeing baby boomers downsize, mm-hmm. you know, from their 4,000, 6,000 square foot houses down into apartments, get rid of mowing the lawn, get rid of, you know, taking care of everything and, uh, and, and retire uh, in ease, you know, now that they're empty nesters. So we're seeing these two of the largest groups that, that have ever existed come, come into rentals. And I think because of that, uh, if, if you want to look at examples, I look at countries like Germany, where you have, you know, 70 plus people in the country are renters and, and they have interest rates that have been close to zero forever. So, so a 3% cap rate is a very common thing there. And I, I think that's where the U.S. continues to trend. I think we move from being a, a nation where it's 60% or, or so of folks are renters. I think that continues to increase. And, and I think we continue to see um, again, asset prices go up because I, because of the interest rates being so low, and I think we continue to see the cap rates compress. Um, and so, like I said, I, I think it's a it's a good time for there's just a lot of factors going on that are converging to make this a a good space to be. This is really interesting. Can you speak? I was going to ask you about the current market. You kind of already covered that, but specifically, are you looking to hold long term? Are you looking for a certain length of time for appreciation to be able to flip that? And are you selling to other investors? Are you selling to um, big uh, like REITs? And, and then really, what's your timetable looking like that you're trying to hold the properties yeah. right now? Yeah, good question. So our timetable has actually, so so we don't hold uh, long-term. Uh, our goal is to maximize the return for the investors. And and you, you don't do that by holding for, for 10 years. Uh, the sweet spot that that we found, you know, is somewhere uh, around that five year mark, and really because of where the market is, uh, we've been compressing that time to really more like three years. So we're doing a lot of three year targeted holds now, um, especially on smaller properties where we know we can come in and we can affect change very quickly and implement the business plan, and, and get in and get out and sell into this this hyper competitive sellers market. Right? I mean, why not take advantage of the market conditions that we're in? Um, you know, I think that's part of, part of my business plan is you have to be agile to adjust to, uh, to what the market conditions are. And I think it would be, you know, it, it wouldn't behoove our investors to say, no, we're, we said, we're going to hold for five years. We're absolutely going to hold for five years. No, no matter hell or high water, what's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just had a property that we purchased in October of 2019 that originally was a five-year hold plan. It was in Atlanta. And we sold it in 21 months because we were able to return a 25% IRR to our investors in that time. And so it was a, a home run for the investors and we were able to chalk it up as a win. Uh, now, we, you know, Atlanta, I think is probably gonna continue to go up. We probably could have continued to hold on to it. But in that instance, we felt the value was there. We'd already created it and wanted to get out and, and move on to the next one. Gotcha. And now the other question that I really had for you is, are you specifically thinking, are you thinking of certain localities within the U.S. being ideal pockets for multifamily, or is it really broad-based? Are you looking at more larger metropolitan areas? Are you staying away from the coast? Is it the same um, philosophy that you're looking for more uh, Midwestern locations? Kind of what's your criteria when you're looking for multifamily? Yeah, so I'm based in Indianapolis, and we okay. focus on the Midwest. So we have properties in Indiana, Ohio, and Kentucky right now. And then, you know, we continue to look in places like Tennessee and kind of out around, but, but staying core Midwest. And one reason for that is just, um, you know, my strategy is to kind of own, own my backyard, if you will. Right. Nice. Yeah. And, and leverage, uh, 
leverage the fact that I've grown up here. I, I know the areas we've got local relationships and we can leverage all that to be successful versus going, uh, going to some of the hotter markets. Cause there, there are kind of quote unquote hot markets for multifamily investing. I would call those Dallas, Phoenix, Arizona, uh, you know, Florida, Orlando, Jacksonville, Tampa, uh, Atlanta. And, but the, for me, the competition there is so high that you know you have anywhere you can, it's not uncommon to have 20 to 30 people bidding on a single property and in that environment i think it's very difficult to buy it at a good price and and to not get emotional and not overpay because you're mm. just you're attached to a bidding war and for me and i think this is a general truism of real estate it's like you make your money when you buy mm -hmm. if you buy it at the right price uh, you're going to be fine. It's when you pay too much, you're constantly chasing to try to to try to catch up on that. So, really, for me, being in the Midwest, I think is a value to investors because most of your options out there, if you're looking at at people to invest with in apartment syndications, I'd say 90% of the people are going to be in those cities I just mentioned. So mm -hmm. I'm an option where I can allow people to diversify. I mean, a lot of people come to me and say, you know, I like you're in the Midwest because I don't have any properties in the Midwest. Um, and for me, the Midwest is, you know, it's, we're seeing great growth. I mean, cities like Indianapolis, Louisville, Lexington, Cincinnati, all these cities are seeing fantastic growth. A lot of it's been buoyed by uh, the logistics boom because the Midwest is so centrally located that, you know, in Louisville, UPS has their North American headquarters there, their UPS world port. And in Indianapolis, FedEx has their second largest facility in the world based in Indianapolis. And so, and then up and down every highway, you've got Amazon distribution centers, Walmart distribution centers and, and everything else in between. I mean, there's warehouses popping up like crazy along all the highways. And part of that is because of our centralized location. You can reach like 75% of the US within a day's drive from in Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. And so we, we've, we're benefiting from this. Uh, we're benefiting from just general stability. I mean, the Midwest is known for being a very stable place to invest. Uh, we've got higher cash flows than if you're investing in those hotter markets because our cap rates are relatively higher. So what that means is you're buying at a relatively better value. So if you're a cash flow investor, you're going to get better cash flow. Um, and we're still, like I said, I described seeing incredible appreciation at the level of 30% over, over nine months. So I think there's a lot of positives in the Midwest. The Midwest has just historically been kind of overlooked. You hear a lot of the news about people moving to the Sun Belt and moving to other places, but like to me, that's okay. I, I'd prefer people continue to compete down those markets and we'll just stay in our little pocket up here. Love it. Love it. You also um, really talk about kind of the benefit or advantage of buying smaller properties versus, or maybe it's the advantage over buying smaller properties. Um, but can you talk about that? Sure. And like small is relative. So small to me is like anything under 150 units, let's say. So mm -hmm. a lot of the properties that, that we've been buying um, and, and really leveraging our local relationships to go direct to seller um, or, or long-term broker relationships in, in some of the, the more local folks. And again, avoid the competition, go directly to the source are, you know, 30, 50, 70 unit properties um, where they're, they're long-term, you know, mom and pop style owners, right? Where we know there's a clear value add uh, where we can come in and, and we know they're under market and rent. We can immediately bring them up to market and we know there's a, a clear value prop there. And so we've had a lot of success in these type of properties. 
because those are properties that the larger players, you mentioned the REITs and everybody else, they're not going after because they all play in the 200 unit plus space, mm -hmm. which again, increases the competition in that 200 plus space. So we found a nice pocket below that where again, we're clearing out a lot of that competition. We can be uh, a very competitive buyer because I'd say we're, we're more sophisticated than the groups that are you know, maybe ha had 10 units and now they're trying to get their first 50 or something, right? We've got a solid track record and we can be a very compelling buyer in that environment versus again, competing with the larger REITs and institutions of the world. So that pocket of about 30 to 150 units, uh, we've seen better value profiles or better return profiles on those investments. And so, yeah, we've, we've got this kind of sweet spot working here. That's excellent. Well, let our listeners know if they did want to reach out to you for more information, if they were interested in finding out more about the investments that you have um, with Hudson Investing, how can they connect with you and do they need to be an accredited investor? Yeah, good question. So uh, you can reach me at kentritter.com. You can just go to my website and you can you can sign up there to you can fill out our investor application. You can, uh, you know, which will you can set up a call with me to, to get on our deal list to see what deals that we have. You can sign up for our newsletter. We've got my podcast, you can access their blog, all, all host of things to do. Um, and as far as being an accredited investor, some deals require you to be an accredited investor, but, but not every deal that we do does require you to be an accredited investor. Uh, if you're not an accredited investor, uh, for those type of deals, it does require us to, to have a pre-existing relationship before I can uh, actually talk to you about any of the deals that we're doing. So, so what that means is we, we need to have some phone calls and we need to, we need to build a relationship before that. So I encourage you, if you are interested to get on our list and set up a call and, uh, and we'll set up a series of calls from there to build that relationship and get to know you and your investing goals so that, you know, eventually I can offer you uh, the type of investments that we've been talking about. That's excellent. Well, I think this has been a really interesting and insightful and eye-opening question. I know we've talked we talk about a lot of alternative investments. Um, we talk about we've we've had people on with the in the multifamily space before as well. But it's interesting having your unique perspective and just hearing your experience in the field. And so, if you are listening and you're thinking and asking that same question that Kent had at the beginning where do I put my cash that I, I don't just want to plug that back into the stock market. This might be a part of your solution. Uh, we do talk about that on a regular basis. And Kent, I'm not sure how familiar you are with privatized banking or infinite banking, but mm -hmm. it's one of the key pieces that we help our clients with as well to be able to storehouse or warehouse their cash in a safe place that is liquid and growing and accessible. And that can even be used in conjunction with investing in something like uh, alternative investments. So yeah. So very, uh, if you're listening right now, this is a very key piece of the conversation to really recognize that there are unique and different avenues for you to be able to be in control of your financial destiny and really being in a position where you're not only having a safe place to store cash, but you're also earning cash flow and you are accelerating that ability to accomplish time and money freedom faster. So uh, I would also invite you to book a call on our advisor calendar if you want to hear more about how to do that as a big picture process. And then certainly also, we would love to invite you to check out kentritter.com. We'll make sure that your uh, website is in our show notes as well when this goes live on the podcast channels. But thank you, Kent, for joining us today for this insightful conversation. And um, is there anything that you wanted to share in closing? 
you know, the only thing I, I would share in closing is just going back to like being an investor first is, you know, yeah, you've got, you've got to be diversified and you've, you've got to find, like, you've got to take control of your financial future. I, I think it sounds like that you guys are helping people do that. And I think that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. I, I think you can't just outsource this stuff because it sounds complicated. Uh, cause if you do, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to get the returns that are going to get you to a comfortable place in retirement. So you've got to go out and find those alternatives uh, that honestly people just don't know about, but, but offer two, three, four X returns that most people are used to through their conventional investment vehicles. So I think my message to people is just, just take control of it and take the time to understand it. That's excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing that today. Bruce, is there anything that you wanted to share as we wrap up today? Well, uh, he, uh, Kent's used the word control, you know, over and over and over. And that's what we, we preach all the time also. And it's, and, uh, you know, it's kind of analogous. We talk about this all the time. It's really about cash flow. It's nice to get appreciation. And uh, right now in the, in the alternative investment world, uh, because of inflated asset prices, you're getting that, but it's really about cash flow. You know, it's, it's my analogy here would be saying, you know, if you had like this huge dump truck, which would represent a pile of money, but that dump truck only moves at a like two or three miles per hour, or you had a very smaller car, but you could drive it anywhere you want, you'd probably drive the smaller car. Even though the smaller car is, doesn't have this big a net worth, you can get and do whatever you want. It's the same way with investing. You really don't care how big the, the uh, pile of money is. What you really care about is the cash flow that's coming off of it. And that is a concept that people don't think about enough. They're always just trying to grow their big pile of money and not how they're actually going to get cash off of it. And real estate does a, an excellent job of getting you tax efficient cash flow. Absolutely. Well said. Yes. And I will just reiterate what Bruce just said. Pay attention to that. Pay attention to the cash flow because ultimately, when you get that net worth, you're going to turn that into cash flow, anyways, to make that functional in your life. And so we want to help you think about the experience of your money, not just the dollar amount. So thank you guests. Or thank you listeners for being with us today. Thank you, Kent, for being a great guest today. And um, thank you, Bruce, as well, for joining me on the show. And in closing, please remember success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk, 
and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.